From EAB, I'm Matt Pellish, and this is Office Hours. You ever been to a job fair? Those words, they might bring back some nostalgic visions of a large field house or a student center lined with these employer booths where you can meet a company rep, you could pass along your resume, even interview a little bit, all in person. This was a signature way large employers, they filled their early talent pipelines for decades, and now they're a thing of the past. On today's episode, I'm joined by EAB's Michael Koppenheffer to talk about employers and specifically how COVID-19 shifted, you might say forced, a lot of employers into a digital or a virtual approach. It's got some limitations, but it also has some benefits. It expands the colleges companies are working with, and it also expands the applicant pool, moves forward a lot of diversity initiatives. We'll talk about how it's gone so far, and Michael will give us some insight into what he sees as the temporary fixes versus some of the longer lasting changes that might alter how employers connect and engage with college students in the future. Finally, we'll give some tips to university leaders on how to partner more closely with employers, help them benefit their students in the new world of the fully online recruitment. Thanks for listening and welcome to Office Hours with EAB. Welcome to the podcast today, everyone, to Office Hours with EAB. I'm Matt Pellish, and we've got a pretty special episode here for you today to talk a little bit more about the employer space. We focus so much on colleges, on universities, on COVID. We're going to bridge a gap here and move in to talk a little bit more about employers. And to do so, the best person we could bring out is Michael Koppenheffer from EAB's Talent Marketing Services. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Matt. Glad to be here. And this is your, your first podcast with Office Hours. Uh, I think it we haven't had you on before, so this is exciting. I, I got to give the warning here, and anybody who's first heard this before, uh, it's Veterans Day is when we're doing the recording, which means schools are closed. We, we finally went in person uh, a couple weeks ago, got kids in school. They're all back home today, so you're likely to hear them at some point in, in the background here. I don't know what it's like where, where you're joining from, but here in New York, it, it's always a, a bit of an adventure, even now, as we come into yeah. the fall of COVID. Yeah, here, here in D.C., schools have not reopened yet, so um, every day is an event. <laughs> you never know what you're going to get. Well, Michael, I'd love to just kick off the, the first question here. You head up Talent Marketing Services at EAB. Can you just give our audience a little idea of, of what that is and what your role is in EAB and the work that you've been doing for the last several months through COVID and even beyond that? Absolutely. So I've been at EAB quite a long time and worked at, um, at a variety of different sides of our, our education work. But I actually spend my time on two different things right now, both of which I think are relevant to today's discussion. One is that I lead our marketing work um, on behalf of college and universities that's focused actually on recruiting high school students, engaging them in the college search and getting them to um, inquire and apply and ultimately attend. So um, that, that's a big part of what we do, as, as you know. Um, but I've also been lucky enough to be engaged in this new initiative that we're gonna focus on today uh, called Talent Marketing Services. And what that is, is it's our attempt to um, take some of the competencies that we've developed across the last several decades at engaging teens, um, young, young adults, and getting them to think about consequential life decisions, mm -hmm. but applying it to a different problem set. So instead of the problem of, I'm a 15-year-old, I'm a 16-year-old, where should I be thinking about college? Where should, how should I be considering um, what colleges to apply to and so forth? It's actually applying it to the post-graduation employment question. So I'm a junior in college, I'm a senior in college. What should I be doing for a career? What mm -hmm. actions should I be taking now to set myself up so that I can get the kind of job that I like? What are my, what even are um, the options on the table for me. 
So we're, we're engaging this new space. Sorry, go ahead. What are some of the similarities there when we think about the, the students who are coming from high school into college and then from college, hopefully into the workforce in tough economic times? What are some of the similarities you've seen in those two roles? You, you kind of have a, an interesting perspective there that, that gives us a little more insight. I'm curious what you've seen in similarities. So interesting question, because there are a lot of things that are similar about engaging these two populations. So um, high school students um, at the beginning of their process are, they, they have a wide open consideration set. They often, in many cases, don't know um, really very much about the process they're about to embark on. They don't know what the way stations are. They don't know what the choices are. And so um, there's an opportunity to uh, support them all along the way across multiple years and multiple phases of the consideration set, great consideration process. And the same is actually true for college students. So a lot of people, a lot of career centers pay attention to the senior year and the on-campus job search and how do we place our seniors. But really what we've seen is that um, a, a lot of very thoughtful um, college career centers and a lot of employers are actually thinking earlier in the college um, college experience and thinking about what, how can we actually engage sophomores? How can we engage juniors in a meaningful way in helping them to understand careers? And potentially, if you're an employer, consider um, coming to work at that particular employer. So you mentioned on-campus job search. And I think that that's been a core part of the recruitment process. Employers come to campus for job fairs, on-campus recruiting. I wonder at the point in the shift that we've seen with so much virtual, how important is campus recruiting to big employers right now? So you're correct in um, asserting that historically on-campus recruiting has been the mainstay of how large employers connect with college students. Um, many of the large employers that we've talked to have very well developed um, and very effective on-campus recruiting operations that are that center around personal relationships and in-person events. As we all know, um, the, the last many months have made the, that typical playbook impossible to run. And so what, what we are seeing across all different kinds of employers is that they are being forced to reconsider the ways that they connect with students and figure out how they can accomplish some of the same objectives in the virtual world because they certainly can't in the physical world. And I miss that too, Michael, the, the idea of, of being in person. We used to see each other in the office at EAV many months ago. And it's been about I, I eight nine months remember since what that's I like. saw you, right? I, I kind of remember physically what it was like to actually be in a room and have a conversation with you and not do it over Zoom in the same way that we still do. But, but that virtualized, it's, it's changed, right? It's so much different now in terms of recruitment, which is in some way, shape, or form, everything's gone virtual in the last several months. And in, in the wake of a pandemic, I'm wondering, you talked about that virtualization of recruitment for employers. How has that gone? Has it gone well? Has it been a challenge? What have been some of the successes you've seen in that virtualized approach to recruitment for employers? Well, um, to be honest, we're still fairly early in the recruiting cycles. Um, so the ultimate success metrics, just like for colleges, are still a number of months away. However, what, what I've seen is that um, for, for better and for worse, um, employers have had to completely flip their models on their heads because you, um, a, which creates opportunities and challenges. The opportunity is that if you're hosting a webinar or doing a roundtable discussion over Zoom or some other type of virtual event, 
um, you can scale at virtually no cost. And so the huge opportunity for employers is that they can reach out to populations, to colleges, to geographies, where they had they, their in-person model didn't allow them to go. And um, that's great potentially for um, getting a broader talent market, for um, increasing the quality of applicants potentially, for increasing mm-hmm. diversity. So that that is a ton of opportunity and aligns with what employers, many employers were seeking before the pandemic. The challenge though, is that it requires very different competencies. Mm-hmm. So um, it's, in my in one of my former jobs, I worked with salespeople, but I worked in marketing. And um, while people often lump those two disciplines together, they are incredibly different because sales and, for that matter, HR and recruitment are often concerned with one to one, right? Mm-hmm. One um, HR representative, one prospective student, or, or one prospective employee, and the two um, sort of meeting on that level. Whereas in the virtual world, you have to think about how do you scale? How do you engage people at a difference, at a distance? How do you take advantage of technology to reach not one student or 10 or even 100, but maybe 1,000 or 10,000? Um, and you do that differently, and that's not something that employers typically know how to do. Interesting. With that, we, we've talked to a lot of students, and I've certainly heard in my work on campus, students are attending virtual job fairs. That was the, the, the initial for it. And I think it's your point of took what was done physically in person, a job fair. People come together in a field house, in a campus center, in a campus union. There's booths, there's employers, everybody talks to each other. We'll, we'll just shift that into the virtual environment. I think that was one of the first forays we had seen there for a lot of students and employers. How are students and employers feeling about those? And again, just I know it's early, as you said, in terms of the outcomes, but just general consensus from your conversations with employers, what you're hearing from them, from students, how do they feel about that movement to a virtual job fair and the response to, to what it's been like? Um, so broadly speaking, and I, I will say that all parties concerned, students, employers, colleges are figuring out how to make it work. Mm-hmm. Just, just like we're seeing those of us who have kids in school, in many cases, we're figuring out how to make it work. But what your question makes me think of is actually the experience of my kids, both of whom are high school age mm-hmm. in DC public schools. In March, at the beginning of the pandemic, um, there was not a coherent strategy, not coherent infrastructure. The technology wasn't working. It's kind of a mess. Um, they're in different schools. Their experiences were really disparate. This fall, honestly, it's been tremendous. They've done, um, the schools have done such a good job delivering virtual mm-hmm. instruction. The kids are used to it. Both my kids are really engaged. They're both having great school years despite being virtual. And we've seen much of the same thing in the virtual recruitment process. There certainly have been plenty of horror stories about career fairs with technology glitches where people haven't been able to log in, where nobody comes to the the virtual rooms to talk. But increasingly, we're hearing um, the alternative, which is stories of employers offering virtual events and having tremendously good participation and great um, genuine engagement and high quality candidates coming through the virtual doors. And which I think speaks to the fact that um, it's virtual is neither good nor bad mm-hmm. in itself, but it is a different set of, of competencies to execute. If you do it well as a employer, as a career center, as a, as a student, you can still get um, a ton of the same benefits and it's in some ways accrue different benefits too. 
I, I like that. I think that's a good, I always love to hear the personal story of your kids are going to be going through this relatively soon as they think about the college search process and certainly beyond that of, of how everything shifted to virtual. And I know your work on that enrollment side has been so much of a virtual recruitment and virtual admissions and enrollment cycles uh, going into this point. So I think it's always a good way to think about it. And on the other side though, you mentioned a couple, a couple times now, uh, competencies, the different competencies that are required in the virtual world versus the, the physical in-person approach that we did. What are some of those competencies that you look for, you've been starting to build into that work with employers or specific things that they've had to shift or even seek out some new talent with those competencies to be successful in this realm? What do those look like? What have they started to stack up in the competency world? So a couple of things come to mind um, and they're all broadly speaking in the marketing realm. So the first is that um, most of the employers that we've talked to do not have an in-house competency at engaging their audience, in this mm -hmm. case, students, um, through email and other mass channels. They, they are great at writing individual emails to students, but if when it comes to writing a stream of emails and maybe digital um, social ads and um, God help us, text messages, it's, it's not what they typically know how to do. And so their yeah. instincts about what subjects lines to use and how to mm -hmm. frame the offers and how different to make the emails and how often to email people um, are not going to make them effective. And, and honestly, that's the same thing that we see in our work with colleges. The reason that colleges and universities work with us is in, in part is that we've built up a distinctive competency at like, how do you get the attention of a distracted and busy 16 year old? Mm -hmm. And the same, same is true um, for, for 21 year olds. Right, and so, mm -hmm. so, so we've definitely seen an opportunity to um, for to work with employers on that side of it. The other thing that I've seen as a, I think, a emerging competency is to think more flexibly about how we can use this virtual world to bring different kinds of experiences and different types of content. I talk about content because I'm a marketing person, <laughs> uh, but different kinds of content to students. So. Um, a number of the employers that we've talked to as we've um, explored virtualization with them, they're thinking, well, you know, we used to do a 45 minute information session when we would go on campus to a certain college. Um, we're going to take that information session, but we'll do it over Zoom. And you could do that. And that's mm -hmm. fine. And maybe if you have a particularly good um, spokesperson, like maybe it'll go pretty well. But th but some some of the, the employers were we're working with have been really imaginative and creative about the possibilities you can get when all of a sudden you don't have to worry about geography or schedule availability because you can get just get somebody to jump on the line. So, for instance, they, they've had, you know, they, they've had CEOs of Fortune 500 companies actually do prospective student talks, which would not typically happen. They've had um, they've been able to draw um, some some really interesting early career um, real employees to participate from parts of the company that were all across the country, who we never would have been able to bring together, who able to tell these really compelling stories, which are irreplaceable in their authenticity, right? Like you, you, can, you can hear from the HR person, but it's very different when you hear from a real um, employee who's a real person who can share their, their actual experiences. And so um, I, I believe that the employers that are gonna be the winners in connecting with certainly with the early career um, perspective of employees 
are going to be the ones who are imaginative and creative at using these new potential virtual approaches to uh, to bring a more vivid and rich and compelling experience mm-hmm. to prospective students or prospective employees to students um, through, through these technologies. I think that I would have loved to have seen a CEO pop onto a, a recruitment event that I had attended perhaps when I was in college. I think I would have tipped the tipped the scale a little bit. I'm like, this is a place to go work. Look, they're they're so interested. You have the CEO engaging, but to have that opportunity in the virtual space because of the breakdown that geography no longer plays the, the same role or schedules. I mean, we we were able to do the same thing. We jump on Zoom calls all the time in ways. I used to jump on a plane and to get to LaGuardia, get on a plane, get somewhere, it was uh, near impossible and took so much time out of life. You can do this so much faster. Yeah, so so much more efficient. And one particular area where I think that's going to, I'm really hoping this is going to make a difference, is in supporting um, diversity goals in hiring. Mm -hmm. So one of the biggest things that works against hiring diversity is the fact that employers tend to recruit at the same colleges year after year after year. And the reality is that if you want a more diverse candidate pool, you can't stay as close to home. You can't stay at the same college as you've gone to year after. You have to expand your footprint, and that's expensive. And if, and if your constraint is, well, you're going to have to hop on a plane. We only have a couple of people who can do this. You're going to naturally figure out what the sweet spot is between your hiring needs and your travel ability, and, and it's going to cause some limits. But the, the thing that is really exciting about the a more virtualized approach to recruitment and uh, is that... Um, employers can go to schools and to reach students who probably never heard from these employers before, never had the opportunity to engage in these nurturing events and awareness events, and therefore likely never would have thought to apply. And I think it's the, in the long run, it's going to benefit students, it's going to benefit colleges, and it's going to benefit employers Mm -hmm. because we're going to find talented people no matter where they are, and we're going to support a lot of these companies who really do have serious goals to improve diversity and improve uh, equity of opportunity. And so um, I think that is a important advantage to that, that if, if uh, companies pursue it, which will be ahead for us. I know it's a little early and you said in terms of outcomes and, and the overall hiring season. Uh, I'm curious if there have been any indicators that that has been successful. Because that's certainly a part of the other side of this. On the learning side, we talk about the learning gap, the completion gap, and the equity gap in higher education that is somewhat linked to technology and the digital divide that we have seen. Students went to emergency remote instruction, had to be forced online. There were a lot of challenges to being connected to your home university, being able to participate in classes in the same way. I'm just curious if that has also played a role as we virtualize recruitment or if they've been able to overcome some of those digital challenges in some ways to see some some positive returns or positive changes uh, in advance of those diversity goals for employers. So it's still early, as you said. Yeah. Best indicators we have of the progress are the um, colleges that students originate from, where we see the students participate in um, these virtual events. Because what we've done is to compare um, in previous years the colleges that students come from when they go through the recruiting funnel, and this year um, where the colleges. Um, where the students come from when they go through the recruiting funnel. And we have seen very positive indicators of um, new colleges showing up in essence. So employers broadening their reach um, in ways that uh, I don't think they would have done in previous years. And it is because these webinars, these virtual events 
um, make it much easier to scale, make it easier to promote events uh, to more to more students and to more colleges. So we're, we're very, very optimistic. That, that's that's good. That's what we we're all hoping for in the larger goals of, of DEI initiatives on campus, but also for employers. As I think about it now, you may hear in the background, you might not, uh, depending on the quality of this microphone, but you might hear the Long Island Railroad. You might also hear the many planes that go to JFK or LaGuardia, where I sit here on Long Island. Travel is increasing a little bit, but if we had been doing this in January or last year, you would have heard a nonstop uh, sound <laughs> of, of jet fumes and jet <laughs> jets whining overhead. So travel is still there, but not as much. Same thing, you talked about employers not necessarily having to travel to go to career fairs, do on-campus recruiting, uh, go out there and, and, and sort of seek out potential employees. On the, the recruitment side as well, do employers care as much about the physical location of applicants anymore or where they'll actually be working from? As we've all gone remote and as we're thinking about the change to the workforce and remote work policies, work from home, is that still the same variable that it was before as they now seek students from a broader swath of, of universities and institutions? Or are there other factors that have now taken a, a stronger position when they're considering applicants? Um, the jury is still out okay. on how employers are going to think about geography going forward. And you, you and I know that, you, that EAB has become increasingly um, location agnostic over the years, but my guess is that when the pandemic ends, that we will be in a different place than when we started. I'm sure that is true for most employers um, across the country and across the world. However, what I will say, which is, has um, struck me, is that most of the employers we've been working with um, are still deeply concerned with geography as they think about their hiring needs. And it's, I think that it's in part because um, many large employers approach early career hiring in almost like a programmatic or cohort-based approach. So it's almost like um, having students enter a graduate program or something, you, you have a one or two or three year rotational program or like a, mm -hmm. a finance training program or a tech, like an early career tech, um, technology program. And what I see is that these employers still do value the physical proximity that is built by some of the, these programs that having, having the new employees on campus and um, inculcating them with the culture and the beliefs and the experiences that come from people being around each other. And that way of thinking has not gone away, even in the middle of the pandemic. Obviously, they've had to pivot, and um, many of their summer internships they still held, which was impressive, but held in a virtual or near-virtual fashion. But everyone is expecting the pandemic to end at some point, and location to reemerge as a as a real consideration um so, so it'd be interesting to continue watching mm -hmm. putting on to both of your hats both the employer side as well as the college university side we always have a, a lot of, of listeners to the podcast that are university leaders and the question is more of, of what can schools do what can those leaders do a little bit differently now to partner with employers more effectively how can they help connect employers to their students in productive ways and do you have any advice that we'd say for the college university leadership at this point of how they can work better with employers yeah that's something that that we've given a fair amount of thought to and it's interesting because it is so different um, for different colleges across the country. Mm -hmm. um, for the telemarketing services initiative, we've been working with very large employers who tend to be quite selective um, 
both in number and in academic perceived academic quality for the, the, the colleges and universities they go to. And what we've heard from years from our colleges and university uh, partners is that it's difficult if they're not in that existing top tier of, of institutions to even get someone to return their calls, to find the right person to reach out to, to, um, to connect, um, to make significant progress in attracting new employers to look at their students. And part of what I would say is that while it may have been challenging for many years to, um, to try to knock on doors and to, um, to um, get employees to engage, I feel like if there's ever a time to do it, to redouble efforts, to, um, to create robust partnerships with employers, whether they are local or regional or national, this would be a great time to do it because um, employers are, as you mentioned, increasingly looking nationally to, to expand their scope of hiring. They have diversity goals that are more concrete in many cases than ever before. And my expectation is that in this, in this time, when in-person recruiting is um, largely on pause, that schools will find a more receptive audience than they have in the past for, um, for reaching out to employers to talk about how they can get their students engaged in this virtual recruiting world. Uh, Michael, one last question. Uh, it's kind of moving beyond just the recruiting part of this and thinking a little bit more about onboarding. And we'll, we'll round out with this one because I'm going to get beyond that. It's challenging enough, I think, to onboard a new employee right out of college, right out of university into an organization, into the corporate world where maybe they didn't have a lot of experience before. I'm curious how much more difficult that is now in the virtual environment or what you've seen out there to shift the onboarding into virtual that's been successful there for employers. And through the next phase of, of even how colleges, universities might think about preparing students in that pipeline for onboarding or getting them a little bit more experience. So I'm curious, thoughts, reactions to what we've seen in the onboarding world and the start of work? Um, so what, what we've seen so far is that at least some employers are, are realizing that if they have to onboard employees virtually, that it, it requires some of the same thinking as onboarding employees in person. So giving them both the necessary functional information to do their jobs, but also sharing the more intangible but important pieces of culture and strategy and connections and so forth, but you have to try twice as hard in the virtual world. And so some of the same teams that we work with on the early career recruitment are also responsible for the onboarding programs and the and sort of the acculturation programs. And we've seen them, they're just working tirelessly mm -hmm. to bolster their programming, knowing that it is going to be um, virtual to make sure that they are they are giving as much of a virtual experience as they possibly can to um, to to replace what is lost with the the person to person. The other thing that I will see though that I've seen though is that um, many employers are increasingly looking um, at the experience of that they can give to full-time employees long before they become full-time employees. And so I've seen increased investment in internship programs of various kinds, development programs, even shorter period opportunities, one-day programs, two-day programs, week-long sophomore programs, because you you actually have a different, and you might argue, um, lower onboarding burden 
first um, bring someone to the company if they are already familiar, if they worked there this summer before, if they've attended different programs, if they if they built an affinity over a longer time, uh, time horizon. And I do see that as, again, one of the opportunities of virtualization that in some ways it's easier to operate, offer these micro programs, um, just like we're seeing um, certificate programs and other kind of ex, uh, experiences um, in some ways be, um, be be easier in a virtual realm. The same thing is actually true for early employment experiences, and I think that's an opportunity we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Michael, thank you so much for your commentary, your insights here, getting a little bit behind the curtain of what employers are thinking, how they're recruiting in certainly the, the wake now and the shadow of COVID-19 as we, we get a little bit more in person, a little bit more on campus. But everybody has a lot of questions about employers. And I think your, your insights are extremely valuable at this point as campuses continue to see how do we engage employers and how do we make sure that we are, are working closely to set our students up for the best opportunities post-graduation. So thank you so much, Michael. I appreciate you coming on to the podcast today. Well, thanks for having me, Matt. I look forward to coming back and re- reporting um, how things have developed across the, the next couple months. Sounds great. Appreciate it. Thanks, Michael. Thanks again for listening. Join us again next week as EAB's Catherine Brown is joined by representatives from Streetwise Partners and the Urban Alliance to talk about getting your institution and your employees more actively involved in community service efforts. Until then, for Office Hours of EAB, I'm Matt Pellish.